The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The Fantasy Baseball Podcast, our off-season edition. I'm Joe Galena, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy, the Fantasy Baseball Guru, Scott Chu. How's it going there, Scott? It's going pretty good. We're uh, we're taking up the slot that would usually be Nick and Fast. So uh, wow, yeah, just uh, uh, you, you know, had to say that to make you nervous. Some some medium sized <laughs> shoes to fill, you might say. <laughs> medium to large. No, um, it's you know it was nice that we were able to sort of flex into this spot and uh, mm-hmm. should be a lot of fun. We're not going to talk so much about pitching, but we'll talk about it a little bit, mm-hmm, and then we'll mm-hmm. talk about the guys who swing the bat. Yes, yes. Just to give the listener a point of reference. It's December 26th, 10.49 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's when we're uh, recording this, just to give you a, a point of reference. And you mentioned we're going to be talking some bats. We actually have a couple of pieces of news uh, in this offseason to talk about for this episode. Cody Bellinger, uh, they snuck this in on us. The Athletic reported that he signed a one-year, $17 million contract just before the December 1st lockout. Uh, I guess rather than go through what could sometimes be a very ugly arbitration process where the Dodgers would have certainly pointed out to his 165, 240, 302 triple slash in the 2021 season and said, what, this guy wants to come to us for arbitration? He's looking for a raise. Well, he actually did get a raise, a $900,000 raise. But it was nice to have a little bit of news uh, to chew on there, Scott. Yeah. You know, Bellinger, I mean, I think the Dodgers have the same problem as fantasy managers in that it's really hard to get a feel for what you have in Cody Bellinger because we've seen good, we've seen great, we've seen mediocre, mm-hmm. and we've seen terrible. Right. Right? Like, we've, se- we've seen it all, right? Like, Steamer projects him for 27 home runs and eight stolen bases and a two forty three batting average, and I'm just like, that doesn't – that like sort of resembles what he did in like 2018. But I'm like that, like those numbers, they're like made up. Like it's basically steamer saying, we don't know. We don't right. know. He changed his plate discipline. He changed lots of things and then had a 48 WRC plus hmm. right at the end of the season. Even last season when he wasn't as great as we want him to be, he was still an above average hitter. And then he was just putrid. So 
it's 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 just weird. It's all weird. The timing of the news is weird. Everything's just weird. ADP, according to NFBC, is 101, which in a 12-team league equates to a ninth-round pick. And like you mentioned, we've seen some really great stuff out of Bellinger. Former MVP who has a 39 and 47 home run season under his belt. Uh, Min-max, minimum pick 46, max pick 134. So that's anywhere from the 4th to 11th round. Uh, I thought what was also interesting uh, was, uh, you know, the deal wasn't announced after the lockout because in part because teams are not referencing players by name during the work stoppage. But yeah, we did see some ugliness out of them this season, but there is cause for some optimism, made a slight change to his approach at the plate late in the season, shifted his position in the batter's box, choked up on the bat that helped increase his bat speed. And he saw some improvement uh, and uh, we saw some improvement at a very good time for the Dodgers, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, we saw really, really small samples of him being good. Right. In, in 2020, like uh, 2021, you're going to think back and be like, was it as bad as I remember? And the answer is yes. In fact, if you dig around, it's probably worse. He only finished months are sort of arbitrary, but let's be, be clear. He finished exactly one month last season with a batting average above 200. No, I'm sorry. Uh, two above 200, only one above 220. 260 in June, 211 wow. in March and April over really small samples, right? He only played four games in March and April. Mm-hmm. And he only played, uh, well, he did play uh, 16 games in June. 260 was the best he could do. Um, mm-hmm. He was, t- I mean, it's just awful. Right. There's no sugarcoating it. You're right. But uh, well, who knows? Maybe he could be a, a draft day bargain. Unfortunately, he has lost his multi-position eligibility. He had been eligible in the outfield and first base in, in most leagues. Uh, but uh, since last season, he only played in the outfield. I'm pretty sure that even the more liberal uh, leagues would only have him eligible in the outfield. But we'll see what happens. But it, like I said, it was nice to have some news about uh, to talk about. Yeah, only three games at first base, so nowhere you're playing that's normal. Right. Like, nowhere where you expect to get advice about position eligibility. Uh, Like, that's a really weird setting to have only three games. But, yeah, only three, so unlikely to get that anywhere. Right, right. Now, we also had uh, some more news uh, coming out of Mets camp. Well, there's no camp, right? But uh, uh, the Mets finally hired a manager. Uh, former New York Yankee manager, former Diamondbacks, Rangers, Orioles manager, Buck Showalter. He's going to be writing out the lineup card for the Mets. And, you know, I was listening to some of his press conference and uh, it seems to be a player's manager. Uh, he was earning some high praise from former players like Manny Machado and Zach Britton. Uh, I remember uh, Manny Machado early in his career was a bit of a hothead firecracker type of player. And he credits uh, show Walter with humbling him and teaching him that he wasn't bigger than the game. And again, from listening to the press conference, sounds like show Walter's goal throughout his career has been to, you know, try to relate to his players. He gave an example of, you know, basically he's trying to familiarize himself to the type, even to the type of music that his players listen to. He says, you're going to be surprised when you hear what, what type of music I'm humming in a clubhouse, but not your typical, in my opinion, at least elder state. And he's 65 years old type of manager. I mean, he talked about 
uh, embracing analytics, explained that in his last stop with the Orioles, they didn't have the budget to fully jump into analytics. He's got a good sense of humor because I, I would listen to him on the Yes Network, you know, the Yankee Network. And there's been a lot of talk of how Showalter could help to change the culture in the Mets clubhouse. And I mean, if you look at his managerial career, Scott, his teams have shown big improvements, one loss wise, early on in his tenure with individual clubs. Like with the Yanks in 1992, his first season managing the Yanks, 76 wins. And then it jumped up to 88 in 1993. Diamondbacks, 65 wins in his first season in 1998. And then they won 100 in 1999. Uh, so, but uh, historically, it seems like his teams do eventually tend to plateau fairly quickly, though, even regress a little bit. Uh, and from the outside, uh, looking in, it seems like maybe might be a little bit too controlling. Maybe he'll change that going forward but a little too intense, and maybe that message that he conveys to players and the managing style start to get ignored by the modern-day player. Yeah, so two little fun pieces of trivia. Number one, he's the fifth manager, apparently, to manage both the Mets and the Yankees. Hmm. I don't know who the other ones are. I uh, can but tell you one, either... Casey Stengel. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. And then... Go the Tory. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> the other thing about Buck Showalter with uh, the two teams you talked about the most there, the Yankees and the Diamondbacks, uh, what's really great for those organizations is what happens actually the year after he leaves, which is they win the World Series. <laughs> so that's a good so, thing. Okay. Yeah. So um, that I mean, uh, Buck Showalter is fine. I, I think that he's a good presence for an organization that. Uh, could not have been more poorly managed last year. You, there couldn't have been a worse disconnect between players, fans, and management than what you kind of saw with the Mets last year. So Buck Showalter is a good hire there. Really, the the fantasy impact is something I'm going to get into with a little more trivia. And that's, okay, over the last two seasons, 2020, 2021, how many Mets stole at least 10 total bases as a Met? You're going to have to tell me because, yeah. Yeah. So it's two. It's Jonathan VR has 14. Lindor okay. has 10. Those are the only two players since the start of 2020 mm-hmm. to have 10 stolen bases for the Mets, right? They have 74 steals over those two seasons. That's about one steal every three games. That's like 24th or 25th in the league. Now, that's pretty bad. But yeah. then there was Buck Showalter. When Buck managed the Orioles from 2011 to 2018, they were dead last in total stolen bases. They had 438 over that span. The next worst team had 60 more. And yes, that's over a long period of time, but like it wasn't terribly close, right? So they were dead last, about one steal in three games. Which So for me, the biggest impact is actually to Starling Marte, right? Uh, back in 2018, the, the best example I can think of of a guy who Showalter, Showalter let run is actually previously mentioned Jonathan VR. That was back in 2018. Um, they traded for him uh, they or they picked him up somehow. And then Showalter just let him run like crazy. Run, Forrest, run! I just felt like running. He had 21 steals in 54 games hmm, back okay. in 2018 uh, after the trade. Also, we have to remember that that team also lost 115 games and they let his contract, you know, they let um, Buck's contract expire. Mm-hmm. Right. So like they let him run because it didn't matter. Right. Um, but when his team does matter, you know, his record does matter. We've seen him just not run. Now, some of that you might say was that like the Orioles over that time, 
had a really strong middle of the lineup. You know, they had Nelson Cruz at some points during this period. They mm-hmm. had Nick Markakis. They had uh, Adam Jones. They had all these guys. So he was a guy that wanted to be like, let them hit. Right. And I play in little Camden yard, like let them hit, let them hit. But I worry that the expectation for Marte probably should come down to like 20, 20 on the low end, 30 on the high end for stolen bases. Right. And lastly, I'd really just say like, man, it would have been great if he could have stayed in Oakland. There was, it was just the most beautiful fantasy outcome you ever could have wanted uh, Starling, for Starling Marte was to just stay in Oakland as their leadoff guy. Cause they just let him run mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. It was like, it was like a free stolen base. They just let him run. Uh, and I, the Mets just aren't going to do that. Good analysis on your part. Unfortunately uh, for Marte and, and for the A's, no one's left there. <laughs> I mean, they're just going to, you know, I guess once uh, this lockout is, is done, uh, the A's kind of have almost served notice that almost everyone's available. So, but uh, that's a good, good analysis on your part. Something to uh, take note of uh, for fantasy players who uh, intend to invest in Starling Marte. So uh, basically, you know, with this with this lockout there, Scott, uh, just you know, looking for any type of baseball news uh, that we could find. So I was looking, uh, and the Dominican Winter League. You know, I, I'm not sure if they're um, on a little break now because of Christmas, but they play a 50 game season that runs from late October to mid January, and there are some actual uh, players that have some fantasy relevance that uh, are playing there this offseason and one of them is an Oakland A Ramon Loriano he's only played two games but if uh, you remember he was suspended for uh, PED use and received an 80 game suspension so I guess uh, you know he's down there probably just to try to get some work in Uh, but uh, if you remember back in in 2019 Loriano kind of made a name for himself in fantasy circles with uh, a 24 homer, 13 stolen base season uh, in 123 games. Uh, on the, the power and the and the stolen base numbers have maintained, but the batting average has fallen off big time since then. But uh, Ramon Loriano might even be uh, a player uh, on the A's that uh, they may be looking to move. Yeah, but if he stays, I think by the time he comes back, he's probably the best candidate for a leadoff guy in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And they've let him run before. He had a really weird season trajectory in 2021. You may not remember this. At the beginning of the season, he ran wild. He stole eight bases in March and April. Uh, he got caught three times, but he did steal eight bases, and he just kept running. I just felt like running. Mm-hmm. And part of that was that the Oakland A started on this huge losing streak. And they were desperate to get out of it. They were fighting and calling for every base. And so they just let Ramon Laureano run. He actually, so after that month where he steals eight bases, which is nuts, he only stole uh, zero over the next two months. He, not a single stolen base or attempt. He didn't even attempt a stolen base for Mm. two months. Uh, And then when he finally, he finally did uh, when he came back, uh, in July and August, he stole four bases over those two months. But he's a guy who I think should be on your radar, but you don't need to draft him in 
most leagues, maybe in like NFBC, which is like 15 teams, five outfield. But in 12 team leagues, he's just a guy to sort of remember. If he doesn't get traded, he's going to project as the number, like the leadoff hitter in Oakland, which until they're done doing trades and signings, it's really hard to know what that lineup's going to look like. But right now, it is really ugly. Like right now, they're one, two uh, at, on roster resources Tony Kemp and Elvis Andrews. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not great. It's not yeah. great. And uh, Matt Olson, first baseman, is on his way out, too, right? They've made no bones about the fact that they're looking to move him. They're just looking to load up on on uh, prospects at this stage. And I guess we'll see. I mean, uh, it's a good point that if he does stay, he's likely to be their leadoff hitter. Whether or not new management uh, is going to be as liberal as letting players run, like we talked about with Starling Marte uh, last season, remains to be seen. But also a good point that uh, probably uh, more valuable in leagues where you're starting five outfielders. So a couple other names that uh, caught my eye. We don't have to spend a lot of time on them. Then I want to talk about two Marlins outfielders. But uh, Vidal Brujan was not the top Rays prospect. Of course, that's Juan DeFranco, who's no longer a prospect, but uh, hit the ground running in his major league career. But Brujan... Uh, in six minor league seasons, has a 288 batting average, 371 OBP, and a 422 slug. Only played 10 games in the major leagues, but uh, only batted 077. Not likely to get regular at bats for the Rays this season. Can play some outfield as well as second base. Obviously, the Rays are set at second base. Uh, with Lau, right? And uh, he's not going to play short because <laughs> Franco's got that locked up for the next 20 years. But like I said, may rotate in and out of the outfield a little bit, but uh, his stock has fallen a bit. And I'll mention another outfielder. And, and if you want to you know, comment on these two guys, uh, you, you love Rockies players, don't you? Especially young ones. Uh, Sam Hilliard, not so young anymore, 27 years old. But he hit the ground running in 2019, opened up some fantasy managers' eyes with uh, seven home runs, two stolen bases in uh, 27 games of 2019 with a 273 batting average. You look at his minor league career, he does have some power and speed, but he really hasn't done much since then. Yeah, and and so I, you know I'll start with him because we we know how much I like the Rockies. He when he was younger, man, he had this. Uh, he had a great swing. He had speed. He had power. Uh, he played in course. He, like he was going to play in course. Like what could go wrong? The answer mm. is everything. Cause the freaking Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm completely uninterested in Sam Hilliard until that strikeout rate is below the, you know, over his 439 plate appearances. It's 34.6. He is not going to succeed with that. Very few players can succeed with that. That's like Joey Gallo and like a couple other guys who can walk a bunch. Hilliard's not doing that cool talents. Um, I'm ignoring until the strikeout rates better. And then with Vidal Brujan, I really, I really liked the reverence you gave to the concept of saying the Rays top prospect and it not being Wander Franco, <laughs> right? Cause it's not technically anymore. He's not a prospect, but we right. all don't want to say like Rays top prospect. Cause like that's actually Wander Franco. Right. right. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the big thing I'm excited about to see with him is number one, he is kind of log jammed, right? Because they also got Taylor walls who when Shelly was on our show sort of in the middle of last year, she came on and told us that he's a scrappy, you know, he's a good fielder. He's a scrappy hitter. He's a guy that's also there. So I don't know if they're going to try to put him in the outfield. I don't know what they're going to do with Bruhan, but 
the play, I loved when that plate discipline, when he gets to the majors and that plate discipline comes something to like close to a 10% walk rate. And he's only striking out like 15 to 20% of the time, which would be just a little bit worse than he was in the minors, but that's because it's the majors and they throw nasty breaking stuff. Mm. When that starts happening, that's when we're going to see the Vidal Brujan that everyone wants. Right. But right now I think he was struggling a little bit with pitch recognition, I think he was probably pressing a little because there's only 10 major league games. We didn't see very much from him, Mm -hmm. uh, just a cup of coffee. So I do think there's a ton of potential there. It's just he's in a weird place right now because the Rays are absolutely loaded at the middle infield. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure exactly how they plan to get everyone playing time, except for the fact that the Rays will multi-position guys, like multi-position guys all the time. It's like a fantasy team for them. Mm-hmm. They're just like, once a guy gets the eligibility, they're like, all right, you're outfield now. Like just randomly move people. So uh, it doesn't work like that in real life, except in Tampa. It's the weirdest thing, but that, I mean, that's what they have going on. So those two guys are, you know, Bruhan exciting Hilliard. I, I, there's just, you know, th- there's just not enough there. Right. Yeah. And I, I almost intentionally brought him up because I know that you love Rockies players and the way the Rockies handle their young talent. Two other outfielders that I'd like to talk about, and these guys I think have a chance of seeing some significant playing time this season, and uh, they're perfecting their craft in the Dominican Winter League. Brian Dela Cruz played 58 games for the Marlins last season, uh, batted 296 with five home runs and 19 RBI, had a 356 OBP. And Jesus Sanchez, who uh, basically, the more I looked at Sanchez, I almost convinced myself that in the league where you start five outfielders, he could end up as my fifth outfielder at some point this season. Not to start the season, but uh, strikeouts have been an issue for him in his uh, brief big league career, 31.8% K rate in 74 big league games. But uh, Steamer projects him to 24 home runs and 76 and drive in 76 runs in uh, 125 games. And uh, they expect his K rate to drop to 24.6. He uh, batted 251 last season in 64 games for the Marlins, 14 home runs and 36 RBI. Uh, doing pretty well in 18 games in the Dominican League, batting 324 there, Scott. Yeah. You know, the thing is. <clears throat> The first thing I want to say is the Marlins outfield situation is going to get real weird, right? Because they actually have a lot. I mean, they've really been building depth on this team. Credit to that organization. They've really built up a lot of depth. So already, you know, they've got, you know, if you go to roster resource, they've got Brian De La Cruz penciled in at center field. He's probably the best bet for that. John Birdie's not a great center fielder. Um, And they got rid of Lewis Brinson because he just can't hit the way they need him to. But you know, how long are they going to platoon Jazz Chisholm Jr., right? Mm. Um, how long are they going to platoon, you know, Jesus Sanchez, right? Who who I actually, you know, I like quite a bit. I, I really like the power. He came up, uh, He his if you look at his overall numbers, they're they're not bad, right? Uh, if you stretch that out to like a full season, which is a really bad way to figure this out, but it's like 34 to 35 home runs. If you want to know what kind of power that was, it's just easier to conceptualize it. He was showing us 34 to 35 home run power. Uh, overall, but what was kind of nice was at the very end, when he came back up, he went down, he comes back up in August, hit really well. He has 11 home runs from August to the end of the season. He only had 14 on the whole year. So if you look at just that, what did that 11, you know, those 11 home runs, 
if you stretch that out over the course of a full season, that's like a 42 home run pace. I'm not saying Jesus Sanchez can hit 42 home runs. I'm saying he can show us that over periods of time. There's just a limited number of players who can do that, right? So <clears throat> he's going his pick 230 in the NFBC. But if you play in like Yahoo leagues, he's probably going to go undrafted because first he does need a full-time job. Again, there's a lot of outfielders in, <clears throat> in Miami. So it's kind of hard to, find playing time for all of them. And he kind of has this thing where he hacks at everything swings all the time, strikes out a lot. So that's going to be tough for him. I don't think he needs to be drafted in like Yahoo leagues, three outfielders. You're just going to have too many other options unless you're like really power desperate and there's nothing else out there. Yeah. But in NFBC leagues, he's, you know, 15 team five outfield. There's definitely uh, some folks chasing power upside there which is pretty cool. But again, I mean, they've also got, you know, the, the corner infields are going to get moved around a lot. Like they pencil in Jesus Sanchez and left, but they've also got like Garrett Cooper who's shown thing on shown things on the bench. They're going to want to find playing time for Joey Wendell. This team made a lot of really like sneaky little moves right before the deadline. <clears throat> so they have, <clears throat> they also have, you know, they picked up Avi Garcia. So he's definitely going to be one of the spots in the outfield. Mm-hmm. They've got Monty Harrison, uh, he's on their bench. And then when you go to the minor leagues, there's even more of them, right? <clears throat> they have Victor Mesa, not to be, conf- I'm sorry, Victor, Victor Mesa, not to be confused with Victor Mesa Jr. who are both in the same system and are both outfielders, which is not confusing at all. Uh, JJ Blade is, is a really highly regarded prospect. You know, he's a top, top 100 kind of guy. Uh, so he's, he's in that system. Peyton Burdick is a guy who's in the top 10 in their organization, uh, he's been in triple a, you know, Victor, Victor Mesa and JJ Blade. They'll be in double a. Um, there's just a lot of guys, mm-hmm. right? There's just a lot of guys in this organization that can come up and play in the outfield. So the thing is, if he's striking out too much, he's just not going to get a chance. And then with De La Cruz, I just wonder, you know, to me, it's just more of like, are they going to let him keep playing center field? Because a lot of these outfielders aren't center fielders. So he might be their best option there. But then I wonder, is that where they put Jess Chisholm? right? Because mm. they're going to want to find that playing time. It's just, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. And I'm almost wondering if they become like their neighbors, the rays in a lot of ways and just mix and match uh, against righties and lefties, especially because this, this can be a really right-handed dominant lineup. Very good point. You know who I noticed that uh, unless he has uh, a son who shares his name, why do you think Albert Pujols would be getting some extra bats down in the Dominican winter league? I mean, I, What's he doing there? There was actually an article about this. I did not read it, mm-hmm. but uh, they were saying it's like a dream come true for him. He's super pumped, <laughs> uh, but which kind of makes sense because he's like, I mean, just a huge, huge celebrity uh, wherever he goes, like here in the States and down there. And so, like, it's probably just fun. Mm-hmm. Right. He just loves like, the game. Right. I he's mean, like. This article was on MLB.com. Um, it's pretty good. And he started out poorly. He was hitting like six for 30. But who cares? <laughs> yes. Right? Like, he's he's probably just thrilled. And, like, think of all those players. So, here's a fun fact. I was just at a charity curling event. Um, <clears throat> I played against Kevin Martin in the final for the, you know, the B division. We were in the final. Uh, it was great. It was It's called Lupus Spiel. Uh, they're a great group trying to get rid of lupus in the next five years doing great things. But so I'm in the final and we all have like a celebrity curler on our team as like our captain. Mm -hmm. Right. And in the final, I'm up against Kevin Martin, who is widely regarded as the greatest curler of all time. Wow. 
the all Babe time. Ruth, the Babe Ruth of curling? The the Babe Ruth, the Michael Jordan of curling. Oh, Kevin yeah. Martin, you can look him up. He like changed how curling is done. He he's the one who like sort of added fitness to the game. Uh-huh. Like, you know, it can't just be old fat Canadians anymore, right? It's gotta be old fitter Canadians. That right? is so cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so he read like he resigns the game. And that's our final. It's against that guy, right? And we won. We actually dominated them. Like he was amazing, but it's just that, you know, the three of us who weren't pro curlers did a lot better than the three of them who were also not pro curlers, right? So we sort of outmatched them on that. And I have that story for the rest of my life. I played in a curling game against a team skipped by the Kevin Martin, and we smoked them, crushed them. Wow. They actually ended it two ends early. Part of it because he needed to catch a flight and part of it because the <laughs> score was out of hand. We just demolished him. And like, just think about the guys in the Dominican league saying like, I, you know, how many people hold that memory of like, I, I struck out a guy who made it to, um, a Cardinals tryout, mm-hmm. right? Like people holding that these guys are holding, like I threw a pitch to Albert Pujols. <laughs> right, right. I struck him out. I popped, you know, he popped out, ground into a double play. Because he can only power walk at this stage. <laughs> yeah. And that's very impressive. Uh, and no one could take that away from you, right? Your, your uh, situation there. Yeah. It, it's same for, same for any kid lucky enough to be in the Dominican Winter League just trying to impress a scout. And they do it by striking out, you know, Albert Pujols. Yeah, yeah. Or getting him to just roll one over to the shortstop. Mm-hmm. What a day that is. So what'd you do today? Oh, you know, got Albert Pujols out three times. <laughs> it was all right. I wish I located a little better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's cool. I'm I'm glad he's having fun. And I'm sure everybody there is having fun. Yeah. And that's what baseball is all about, right? That's why we got to get this work stoppage done. We want to start spring training on time. If possible, we don't want to delay to the season. So, uh, supposedly, uh, in January, there's going to be some uh, heavy talks and they're going to be talking money. And that's very important. That's going to be uh, what's going to uh, uh, stop the stoppage and get uh, players back. That's going to get uh, teams being able to mention a player's name again, right? Well, make the press conferences easier. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um Want to talk about your? You've been involved in the pitcher list dynasty mock draft. Want to talk a little bit about uh, startup? Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show Dynasty Fantasy Baseball Draft Strategy, and uh, we'll do that right after this. 
And we're back. Joe Galina and Scott Chu, Hacks and Jacks, Fantasy Baseball. And uh, it alluded to the fact that Scott has been involved in a 12-team, right? It's 12-team pitcher list dynasty mock draft uh, with some pretty heavy hitters. Uh, Shelly V is one of them. How's it going there, Scott, in that in that draft? Yeah, you know, it's just Shelly and Adam, you know, Adam Lawler and like our whole oh, dynasty team. Oh, and then it. me, you know, just hanging out. <laughs> just me and uh, me and Colin Charles, the data guy. Uh, just the two of us kind of in here, just mucking things up, you know, having a lot of fun with that. But it, it's it's going well. So these dynasty startup drafts are always a lot of fun. I think one of the most fun things about doing a dynasty league is being in the startup draft. If you ever get a chance to do that, I highly recommend it. But, you know, dynasty strategy is really roster dependent, right? Like I'd say most people get a dynasty team because they acquire one that's been abandoned, right? right? And so you're usually at that point, you're, you know, you're buying into a rebuild and your strategy sort of made up for you. But in these drafts, you get to kind of pick what strategy you want as you go, right? And you know, there's a lot of debate over how to do this. I am someone, I tend to lean a little more on the win now side. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that is because of the pessimistic side of me. That's like, if this thing only goes for three years, that five-year plan doesn't really matter. And mm-hmm. I never really like to plan for more than five years at a time, or mm-hmm. I'm sorry, three years at a time. Uh, I'm not crazy about 17 year old prospects, although I'll hold on to them if I end up with them anyway. Yes, yeah, so we're going through it and um, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I mean, the biggest thing is, it's in a, in a single season draft, even if it's like a, you know, a first year player draft or whatever it is you're doing, you're sort of all working from the same context and you may have slightly different needs, but you're all kind of looking at the same player pool and you're all trying to win, you know, in these drafts, like your winning window, isn't really a consideration in that draft, right. For like a redraft or whatever. Um, but in this, what gets crazy is that people start, shifting in really after like four or five rounds, people start shifting in to their, their strategies, right? The win now versus the, you know, the win now versus the um, let's, you know, let's take it slow, all these kinds of things. So it's really hard to know when to take the players you want because a, a team that's focusing heavy on rebuild is probably going to snipe Spencer Torkelson before I'm able to, mm-hmm. right? before I'm really feeling comfortable because I want to be competitive immediately. That's ex- exactly what happened, actually. He was taken in the fourth round of this startup, which I, I think it was a good pick. It was just, I wish I would have done it, mm. right? I just, I, w- I wish I would have had the chance. So it, it's, you know, instead I picked Trevor Story, right? That Like, that's such a hard decision. Like, just being in a position where you're making that conceptual choice. It's a brand new startup. Do I want Spencer Torkelson or Trevor Story? That's, I mean, that's a strategic decision. There's no, no one, you can't just like tweet that at Shelly V and have her give give you a response, Mm -hmm. right? You can't say, hey, Dynasty, Torkelson or Story. Like, well, well, what's the context, right? Everything's context and and the context doesn't really develop right away. So it's a really fun thing to do. I, I recommend that you give it a try if you ever get the opportunity and it's also just a good way to sort of like get some ideas of and, and like benchmark for your own dynasty leagues to be like, okay, someone might like someone might take someone a lot earlier than I would. And I can be like, okay, th- there's big fans of that player out there. Right. Right. Or, wow, I can't believe this player fell so far. Yeah, I, mean, or, and I, I thought it was interesting how 
veterans are valued in a startup dynasty draft just from viewing what happened in, in this mock. Uh, in particular, I'll give you one example. Max Scherzer, right? Uh, he, in your dynasty mock, he was a seventh-round pick, 24th pitcher off the board. Now, in NFBC, he has a 17 ADP, uh, and he's the fifth pitcher coming off the board. Meanwhile, you have, in comparison, a Freddie Peralta, who's 25, right? He uh, was the 11th pitcher coming off the board, uh, basically a, a fourth-round pick, um, and coming off of a career year. So I, I thought it was just kind of interesting how in a, a non-dynasty format, you know, Max Scherzer is probably going to go within the first, you know, couple of rounds. Yeah, so the first thing that happens in these drafts, like always, is you target the players that can do it now and later, mm-hmm. right? They're in that sweet spot, or maybe even younger. You know, Wander Franco was a first-round pick in this, obviously. He's actually the last pick of the first round mm-hmm. uh, because of Tatis and Soto and Vlad Jr. and Acuna and my pick Otani and Bichette and Lewis Robert. Like, a lot of these guys, like, young and performing now, right? But eventually, you start getting a little bit later, and it really starts happening you know, it kind of depends on the player. Like, even if you look at the next few rounds, like there's not a ton of guys that much older than 30 getting drafted. The mm-hmm. ones that are, are like Mike Trout, um, Garrett Cole. That's in the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, in the third round, I took Jake DeGrom, who's hard to value because like after that was Brandon Woodruff. Right. And actually he was, he was kind of, yeah, I was having the same debate. I was like, do I want DeGrom or Woodruff? And Woodruff's a lot younger, but like DeGrom, I'm like, if I'm competing in the next three years, like who do I think is going to be better than DeGrom over the next three years? Guaranteed. Nobody. Nobody. Right. So yeah, you have to make weird decisions, right? I mean, it just happens. Just to get back to Max Scherzer, that that round is full of starting pitchers, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, I'll tell you the string of starting pitchers that all get drafted around there. Jack Flaherty, Joe Musgrove, Luis Castillo, Max Scherzer, Carlos Rodon, which that, that was actually my pick, then Shane Baz and Kevin Gossman. Like, throw your hands up. Like, how do you how do you make those calls, right? And, and this is only the seventh round. You want to talk about roster construction? Two picks of thirty year old guys. All of a sudden, your team looks ancient, right? Like, it's a weird thing to do. But it is a really, it's actually really fun. As much as I'm talking about how weird it is, it's really fun. So, again, highly recommend. And I'm really, I'm really glad Shelly, uh, Shelly Verstrait was willing to put this together. There's going to be a bunch of articles coming out too. So, so keep your eye out for that. Mm. So we uh, really am looking forward to it because if there's anyone that knows prospects, it's Shelly V. Um, and so in terms of, are you learning as you go along too in this process? Or do you have like a, a, a preset notion of when you're going to go for, you know, to, to start targeting pros, prospects, uh, in, in a dynasty startup. I mean, I, I can tell you that in this, I think my first prospect, like true prospect comes in round 12 because I thought CJ Abrams, who's quite young, uh, would just around for too long. Mm-hmm. Right. And I actually don't have any other prospects on my roster. I have some very young players, right? My most recent pick number one sixty four, that was a keel Badu. Right. Like I, I was getting a kill like to do in the draft. They keep, they keep stealing my tigers. <laughs> Mize was taken from me earlier. Uh, Eric's in the, like in, like in the last round, he's been taken from me. Tarek Scooble was taking one pick from me. I'm sitting there thinking like, these guys are going to make fun of me because I'm jumping in on Scooble as like a top, like 70 something pick. 
and like a top 100 pick, I think. And he ruined my life. I'm sorry. It was a one two. It was a pick 124. He was taken. I was ready to take him at 125, thinking like this is so bold, this is so cool. And then I got sniped. Then I'd end up with Lance Lynn. Ugh. He's no Tarek Skubal. He's he's over 30. He can't kick nearly as high. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's uh, he's a, a veteran. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, and I took Clayton Kershaw after that. Say that tongue in cheek, of course. But yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> And, and so like, again, it's weird. Like Nolan Arenado lasts a long time in this draft for no particular reason. Right. We, none of us, I think we're really sure where to value Cedric Mullins. I got him at pick 53. I love that. Um, Ryan Mountcastle. I got him at pick 116. I like, like that. So I've got young players, but, yeah. but you'll find with me and really with, I think for almost everyone, the ideal thing to do is you find these young 20 somethings mm-hmm. and get as many as you can. Right. Uh, the the number one uh, prospect that went, the first prospect that was taken in round two was Julio Rodriguez, outfielder for, for the Mariners, who I happen to really like. Uh, I think that by the end of the season, he's going to have an everyday job. Now, I mean, you look at this guy in three minor league seasons, 331 batting average, 412 OBP and a 543 slug uh, last year. Let's see. And started out in high A, batted 325 there. Didn't skip a beat when they promoted him to double A uh, and overall on the uh, season played 74 games between high A and double A and ended up batting 347 with 13 home runs and 21 stolen bases in those 74 games. So, uh, you know, uh, don't argue he could be the number one uh, prospect coming up uh, this season. I think he's he might have uh, make an impact this year. Yeah, I mean. He's obviously, you know, he's, he's really the top prospect in baseball right now. He's, you know, he's got a ton of promise. I mean, he's, he's going to have more hype than Kellenic did when he came up. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I, I think that'll be really interesting to watch. And, you know, I, I think something that you mentioned earlier about the balance of when do you take, you know, hitters and pitchers and prospects, I can just actually tell you how many have been drafted so far. Right. Mm-hmm. So we are at pick, oh, we're in the 15th round. We're at pick 172. So 171 players been taken, 89 of them are hitters, major league hitters, 53 are major league pitchers, and there's been 27 total prospects. Hmm. So that kind of gives you a good idea of how the breakdown is. And I'll tell you that it's really started happening, you know, early on it's scarce. And then as you get deeper, you start seeing more and more of it because you start blurring the line between like, that's when you really start seeing some of like the, the weirder decisions you have to make like Reese Hoskins or um, you know, like a, like a Joe Adele or something mm-hmm. like that. Right? The, right. These weird, like older guy who's steady versus younger guy who could totally like, you know, disappear. Like, it's, it's weird. So that's kind of the balance. And then also it, it's, it's really weird just seeing the pitching, like just the way pitching works out. Like we're, we're on another run of starting pitchers. Go figure. Casey Mize, John Means, Edward Cabrera, um, and then Emerson Hancock, then Mike Clevenger, because who knows what he's going to look like when he comes back, and then Tyler Glasnow, who hurt you know who hurt himself and famously yeah. was was very upset about uh, the spider attack. So like, when do you take that guy? Right, right. So so it is a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to seeing the articles from everybody about how they do that. I'll be writing one as well. But I, I think the biggest thing is you really, you really, really want to be paying attention to your roster and just don't be too locked into a strategy before the draft starts. 
because what if your league has, you know, is, is paying a high prospect tax, then take advantage, find the market efficiencies, right? I mean, that's what you should always be doing. If people are letting free agents fall too far, pick them up. Right. Um, you know, that, that's a redraft problem more than it is a dynasty problem. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the kinds of things that, that I'd be doing. And I also, you know, remember that the majority, just remember the outfield and always be aware of your outfield settings. I think the worst thing you can do is, is do a bunch of five outfield drafts and then go to a league that only has three and be like, man, all these sleepers. And you've drafted all three outfielders in your first five picks and everyone's getting eight, you know, an 80% player 15 rounds later. Right. Just because people stop taking outfielders. Yeah. Yeah. And in this mock, is it a, What's the roster configuration? Is it three or five? It's outfielder? it's three, and okay. I already have a lot more than that. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I have what one, two, three, four, five outfield eligible players, mm-hmm. and a DH in Otani. So we'll we'll figure that out. Gotta love Otani. Okay. So we'll be looking forward, like you said, looking forward to seeing the content that comes out uh, from this draft, and uh, when we do our next pod, you're might even be complete so we could really do a, a in-depth dive into uh you know players that were taken oh yeah well maybe we'll wrangle up some of these dynasty writers whatever it is they sure. do uh and and we'll we'll get them to talk a little bit about uh why they would steal Tarek Skubal from me uh in broad daylight you know <laughs> it was it was just it was obscene when i it just you know it, un- unbelievable and he was a new guy new guy <laughs> I don't know what we're doing for orientation, but we gotta we gotta step it up. He's trying to make a name for himself. He's uh, become your nemesis. He's I already had he's, one. He's he's your Joker to your Batman. <laughs> you you complete me. You might, I, I think I think I'm the Joker now. I'm insane. <laughs> he's probably a reasonable, healthy adult, he's opened, I, and I'm not. He's opened up a can of worms. Yeah, I, it's it's going to be great. All right. So uh, great talking to you, Scott. And we're recording this, like I said, December 26th. It's the first day of Kwanzaa. So happy Kwanzaa. Hope everyone had a nice Christmas, uh, enjoyed uh, Hanukkah, which was very early this year. And uh, we won't see it till 2022. I think our next show uh, should drop on January 6th. So thanks for hanging out and listening. Thanks, Scott. Follow me at Joe Galina. Follow Scott at If the Chew Fits. Follow our podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. Subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice review if you don't mind. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Thanks for tuning in. Happy everything, and we'll see you next time.